right. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Come in. Make yourselves comfortable. Uh, we're so glad that you're here for this space um, that's reserved for all of you. Dreamers, visionaries, entrepreneurs, those of you who consider yourself creatives. It's for all of you who are anomaly with water walker potential. And your presence tonight is not accidental in the least. God ordained our past across for unique purpose. And we know that purpose shall be revealed throughout this evening. So welcome to this space tonight. Before we begin, as I always do, we'll take a moment and ask that you like and share and maybe comment on this broadcast. I mean, I'm always excited to see the scope of our audience that span from coast to coast, and it's been increasing and growing. I'm very excited to, to see that. And one of the surest ways that you can be a witness tonight is to respond in the comment section. I mean, in addition, you can show your agreement by liking uh, or even loving points throughout this, uh, this broadcast evening. We want tonight's broadcast to get to as many people as possible. And the simple like, act of liking and sharing or even commenting uh, throughout this broadcast and, and maybe sharing on your own page could change the very trajectory of someone else's life. Since last month, uh, I've been also telling you what uh, Think Big is. And so let's let's get um, right um, get right into it. So this Think Big virtual um, collaborative space is for the full conscious and active participation of kingdom minded people. I mean, those who are young and old, those who are powerful and powerless, newcomers and even lifelong worshipers through Think Big. We are led beyond ourselves to give ourselves away for, uh, the, for ministry and the ministry needs of those of our local community and even the global world. A hallmark of the Think Big is its potential to mine the riches of scripture for deeper encounters with the message of the gospel, where we all know the true purpose and destiny in him is found. And as an orientation into tonight, like I do every week, every month, I want to remind you tonight to live on purpose. Listen, y'all, live on purpose. I mean, there is a commercial that many of us, uh, I'm sure, have seen uh, for Prudential. Uh, in the commercial, a man says, we asked people to tell us something that happened in their past and something that might happen in their future. The good things were put on a yellow magnet and the bad ones on a blue magnet. The results show that the past was a pretty even mix of good and bad, but the future was almost all good things. And when asked the question now that you've seen the results of this experiment, what does it mean to you? Two persons speak. First, a man who says, well, quote, we all want to think about positive stuff. And a woman who says, realistically, there will be down times. Well, I compared this commercial uh, with the message uh, and prophecies that I've heard from preachers and even prophets in preaching on social media. They're all similar, right? There's some similarities. We embrace their words because we all want to be optimistic. We all imagine or want to imagine that our future will be better and brighter than our past, that for us tomorrow will be fruitful and more productive and prolific than yesterday. So preachers and prophets tell congregations how this is going to be our year, right? That God is going to give you back what the devil stole, or this is the year of favor, the year of increase, the year of abundant blessings, a shift, uh, and many of those kind of things. I'm not a pessimistic, so don't get me wrong, but this is what I believe we often miss in our optimistic outlook on things. Let's not forget that defeat is as much a part of life as victory. Pleasure is a part of life, but so is pain. Winning is an essential element of life, and so is losing. I mean, you don't get one in this life without, at some point or, or, or on some occasion, without having the other. Sometimes, just to be honest with you tonight, I've learned more in defeat and more in pain and more in losing than I've learned uh, through victory, pleasure, or even winning. And this is the essential message of the book of Ecclesiastes that we opened up with tonight, uh, written by Solomon. Uh, the Ecclesiastes, to some, presents uh, uh, an unsatisfactory outlook on life. But life, 
uh, says the writer, is only unsatisfactory when one does not understand that for everything there is a purpose. Uh, uh, the, the writer seeks to teach us that there is a right or proper time for everything. And the wise person knows or understands when the right time has come and seeks to move in that time. This is the vision of, of time, which which we call Kairos, right? A Kairos, the time when conditions are right for accomplishing a crucial action or the opportune or decisive moment, the fixed or due season. And I'll contend with this writer here that, 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 that this is not the pessimistic some uh, pessimism that some think it is, right? Rather, the writer is challenging us to live on purpose. He says to everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under the heaven. And by purpose, um, uh, uh, the writer means more than just a rationale or a principle or an intention or maybe even an aim. But this writer is speaking here, as the Hebrew word defines it, of a valuable thing. Yep, time. The time he cites uh, are the times that describe every part of human existence, every part of human experience. There is a time for something to begin and a time for something to end. There's a time for some for healing and repair in relationships and a time to punish. There's a time to laugh and a time to cry. There's time for prudence and a time for providence. There's a time to be reserved and a time to be generous. There's a time for sorrow and even a time to end our mourning. There is a time to speak and a time to be silent. And this message about these times is what makes the life which this writer otherwise describes as vanity make any sense. He contends that nothing that happens between these events has the final words. You hear me? Nothing that happens in your life is the final word. It's not what happens to us that matters, but how we respond that makes all the difference. The thing that sets human beings apart from every other creature is a sense of direction, that life can be enjoyed and be beneficial to and for us if we keep purpose in mind. You see, at this moment, there are only two thirds of the story of our lives that we feel comfortable to embrace. One part of our story is the past, where we look back and face the reality of or give perspective to what happened to us. A second part of our story is the future, depicted in the glowing and rosy image of our lives as we imagine how they will unfold. But a third part I would suggest is what the writer of Ecclesiastes suggests, that there is a time for every purpose and matter under, under the heavens. And our guest tonight knows something about purpose and knows something about timing. And I'm glad to have him here with us tonight Amen. To talk about purpose. He's uh, understands that as a pastor, an author and a clinician. So y'all help me welcome all the way to the platform. The Reverend Dr. W Virgil Woods. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me, uh, Dr. Thompson. Thank you, Dr. Woods. You. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you're here. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. A little tired. It's been a rough week. But hey, I'm doing I'll, tell good. You. I'll tell you. Well, listen, I'm excited to have you here for the finale. This is the very last Think Big in this first se series. On uh, season one, and we've been excited to really move beyond being church people to being kingdom-minded people. And when I think about people who help us to move the needle a little bit, you come to mind. And so we're very glad. Oh wow! Yeah, listen, everybody, in, in Think Big, we don't necessarily give a exhaustive bio, but if you look at the very very bottom, uh, you'll see um, Dr. Woods's um, 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 uh, website, and you can go there and learn more about him, support his ministry. All the things that he does, uh, he's a, certainly a multi-thinker, uh, and we're very glad to hear you, have you here today. But listen, the way we learn about you is by asking three questions. And so we shared the questions with you, 
And so if you're at home, go ahead and like and share, go ahead and get your pen and paper because we want to learn from some of the, um, the, the nuggets. All right. So you ready? Uh, I'm not ready. <laughs> I, I tell you, Reverend Jason, when I read those questions, I said, oh, my gosh, he is going deep on me. So uh, I'm as ready as I can be. Let's do but, it. Let's uh, do and it. let me let me let me. Can I start by just saying thank you for this platform? Oh, man. Like, this is really amazing. I appreciated your opening words. And we've already had a word just from the intro. Like, those are good words. I had to repreach that. Uh, but no, this is great. And just thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really honored. I'm glad, I'm glad have we go all the way back to my times in Chicago. So I work on my doctorate and uh, you, you certainly were a wonderful pastor to work with and very, uh, thank so, you. you know, your, your way of thinking uh, certainly is outside. Thank of you. So here we go, everybody. So the first question, we, we think about your own ministry, looking at you uh, and your ministry approaches and those things that you do. What's essential? Well, what's been essential? What's been timeless in your own faith journey? You know, when I read that first question, um, I, I think my initial reaction was to go to what I call the Sunday school answers. Um, you know, I want to say, well, prayer, you know, prayer is just so essential to my faith journey. And it is, um, you know, my I, have, I keep a daily devotional that I read. I, I shift around and read different people's daily devotionals. Um, you know, those types of things kind of keep me going. But when I really dug beneath the surface, I, I think my answer might be a little surprising. Uh, but I think what's essential and timeless in my faith journey is simply people. Wow. People. And I think that for me, having now pastored over 20 years, um, I think that I can pray all I want. I can, you know, I can study all I want. But if you lose focus of the people, I, I think it all becomes for not. And when I say the people, I, I mean, I get my motivation from the people, you know, uh, Every year they do a birthday box for me. And every year I tell my church, you know, you don't have to just put money in there. Like, you know, of course we all have to keep the lights on, but I tell my church, I said, sometimes just write me a note wow. because I never know as the pastor, how a sermon or how even a hug or a prayer has impacted someone. And Reverend Jason, when I tell you some of the notes are better than a million dollar check, like what they do for my spirit and my soul to know that what I'm doing is making a difference in the lives of God's people just is so invaluable to me. It's so motivating for me. It makes me want to wake up and do it again. Um, and then when the tough times come, again, going back to the people, that's what also motivates me. Um, we have a wonderful food pantry at our church. We feed 10,000 individuals every year, free groceries every every week. And you, know, you see those people and you're own problems wane into the distance mm. as you see the struggles of others. So there's just so much to be gathered from being around people. And then my personal theology has always been that you, the act of Christianity is inherently an act within community, mm. because if you're by yourself, you can't forgive. How do you love wow. everything? Don't do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not all those things are attached with people to people. And so for me, I think even when I look out into the world and what church is becoming and I talk to pastors or whatnot, you know, I get troubled when there's so much more concern for buildings and so much more concern for finances and so much more concern for the other things that we forget that man was not created for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for man. That this ultimately comes down to being about the people and, 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 and God's people and loving God's people. So 
that's the essential part for me. And I can tell you this, you might not know this about me, Jason. I was a math major in college. I do know that. <laughs> and 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 what 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 is what 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 really pushed me off was I realized at a certain point that I was destined to a cubicle because I was going to be an actuary or I was going to be some high-end mathematical engineer in the in the basement office of Microsoft, you know. And I'm just it, it, and when I saw that future was devoid of the social component that I love so much, I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I just love people. I really love people. And I think any pastor who is going to be a pastor has to love people like good, bad, ugly, tall, short, skinny, fat. You got to love everybody, man. Like, and I guess God kind of put it in me. And I've had times where I've also been hurt because of my optimistic outlook on the inherent goodness of man, I do tend to err on the side of being trusting and naive. And uh, sometimes it gets me in trouble, but it's something I don't want to let go of even after having, because what's the alternative to look at man as inherently bad and walk around with a license plate that says, trust no one, you know, like, (laughs) you know, I I just, that, that looks, that doesn't look like a joyous life to me. So yeah, people. Yeah. Listen, I love that. I love particularly that you 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 remind all of us that that our, our true mission is not about building uh, sanctuaries, about building buildings, but but really building people. Uh, so that was powerful, I and mean, I think that, that that that's something we don't need to to get away from is our love of community and, and love of, of of people within community. So yes, we're yeah. also a great start. Everybody, go ahead and like <laughs> the some of you already commented in um, the chat. We encourage you to do that. So 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 that's what's essential and what's timeless. The other question really is about what's dated in our ministry thinking or maybe our ministry approaches that started. So, you know, I, I always use the analogy about there's some things in your, your refrigerator that just literally cross out. I mean, cry out, toss me, get rid of me. I've reached my prime. <laughs> I need to be taken off the shelf along the way. So what, what do you think is dated and needs to be discarded? Whew, how long is the Think Big Show again? <laughs> <laughs> um. Let, let let me give my my four my more uh my more philosophical answer because I can think of a lot of just structural things that I think need to go. Um, I, I think the big thing for me is we really need to get rid of a closed and compartmentalized understanding of what church is supposed to look like. I'm I'm, I'm gonna let that kind of sink in. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh I, I think I think we need to get rid of preconceived notions of what church is. Yeah. Um, we we you know, it, it's funny when you go back and you realize just simple movements like from pews to chairs, you know, like like how that was just mind blowing for some people um, that church doesn't have to be in a certain type sanctuary or even in a certain location that pastors don't have to fit some type of, I don't know, like certain standard or stereotypical standard of what it means to be a pastor. I, you know, I, when we evangelized on the South side of Chicago, uh, I ran into this brother and he had three blunts hanging out the front of his jean jacket. And he probably smelled about like a marijuana farm. And (laughs) he was typically somebody you were going to walk by possibly when you were evangelizing. And I, 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 when I talked to this man, he knew more scripture mm. than half my Sunday school. Wow. 
And he was so much more in touch than you would have ever imagined if you judged him on the surface. And that's what I mean when I say we, we, we all have these preconceived notions of what church people look like, what a pastor is supposed to look like, and even holistically what a ministry is supposed to look like. And I think God is just doing so many new things. And I think even, you know, I try to find purpose even in this pandemic. Is this pandemic really something to push us beyond our limits and to push us beyond? Okay, so this is what God said. God said, you know what? I'm going to take away your building. I'm going to take away your choir. I'm going to take away your ushers white gloves. I'm going to take away your bulletin. I'm going to take away your meetings. I'm going to take away your little plate you put the offering in. I'm going to take away your pew. I'm going to take away your ushers and your greeters. I'm going to take all of that away. And then I'm going to sit back and see now what do you do for church? Because it's almost like that was the only way. And now it's it's even though I know it's a pandemic, it's actually for me a beautiful time in the church. And the reason I say that is because it is so stretching us, yeah. so stretching us. I mean, look at this format we're on right now. Would we have really gotten here without that major push? I mean, you know, and I don't want to glorify the pandemic or, you know, romanticize COVID. That's not what I'm saying. But I still believe that all things work together for the good. And I'm just wondering if one of the goods here is just stretching the church beyond where it ever could go. Let me make you laugh. How many people at church said, well, I ain't got an email pastor and I can't get on this pastor and we can't do that pastor. But then when they had no choice, right, right. <laughs> I have, I have 80 year olds on my zoom official board meeting. You hear me? 80 year olds that are in my zoom, in my Bible studies. I got, I mean, I got people that once they started getting left out and I said, well, this is where official board is. If you want to make it, you got to, you know, you got to figure out. And now I will say this pastors. I also take the time to one-on-one -on -one work with people. So my members know if you're having trouble, call me and we will sit on the phone. I'll walk you through loading the app. Like I'll get you going. So, you know, you can't be a lazy pastor for this to work. But at the end of the day, so many people who said I couldn't once forced, they were able to get on the boat and get in and get moving with the rest of the crowd. And again, it's sad that it took all of this. Mm. I mean, Jason, I, you know, I build websites and I, I've been preaching online giving for six years simply because of inclement weather. We're in Chicago. So a good snow will shut a church down here. But now guess what? When COVID hit, oh man. And would you believe I had a couple clients who did not believe in online giving? No, no, no. The Lord says that you must bring the offering into the offering house. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, but you know, <laughs> guess, ask, ask me when we shut down for a year if they believed in online giving. <laughs> I'm a believer. Ain't there a gospel song says I'm a believer? Yeah. I mean, so again, yeah. you know, I, I just think that this whole time we're living in is a beautiful time for the church. Mm -hmm. It's a time to stretch. It's a time to create. It, it's just a time to really get beyond the things that we thought. I mean, I'm in my kitchen, you're on your couch and we're having great ministry right now. I mean, that, that, that says it all right there. I love it. I love it. So we've talked about, you know, and I wish I had a time. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of running out of time, but, but I'm going to point everybody to go read Isaiah chapter one from the message Bible verses 13 through 17. Isaac, because it made, made me think about what you just said. I'm just going to read the beginning of it just so you can get a, a, a clear picture about how, how things are just, you know, changing. But yeah, I feel like God is it's also saying, listen, I'm tired. So this is Isaiah chapter one verses 13 through 17 it says, quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more meetings for this meetings for that. I hate them. 
You, you've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you do keep right on sinning. So it keeps on going, but it reminded me of what you just said, like things are changing. And yeah, I think God is also going like, look, about time y'all come. And, and let me say this, Jason. I mean, and you're a musician. Let me say this. It's weird that we haven't figured this out yet. Mm. Because there was a time when bringing a drum set into the church was the devil. Then there was a time when you, you better not get rid of the piano. And then I watched this uh, show. I recommend it for everybody. It's on Hulu called Summer of Soul. And what it is, is it's a highlight of a concert in Harlem that was 100 miles away from Woodstock, but it was a black Woodstock. And it had everybody from Stevie Wonder to uh, uh, Gladys Knight to Nina Simone. And it's beautifully recorded. The recording of the concert was lost in a basement for 50 years. And they brought it back. And it's a documentary, not only about this black Woodstock in New York, but about the significance. They have a gospel section in there. And when they interviewed the people who wrote the song, Oh, Happy Day, she talked about how the church shunned them, put them down because Oh, Happy Day became so popular that they saw it as popular pop music and put them down. And I said, if this is not deja vu to a Kurt Franklin, if this is not deja vu to a Lecrae, like how many times I almost feel like a, the book of Judges, you know, how many times do we go through the cycle of, oh, this doesn't work. But guess what? You can't have a funeral now without singing, oh, happy day. Or, you know, what I mean, like you, it's such a staple in our church now, just like drums and these other things. So, again, it surprises me that we haven't learned yet that God is not going to stay in a box. Like God is just not going to stay in a box. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so listen, I'm gonna I gotta let you preach too. So, so we talk about what's essential. The, the, the sermon's only four minutes, so that's, you that's know, take all your time. <laughs> what's essential and what's timeless in your faith journey, but also what needs to be discarded. But then we think, okay, well, what must be created that's gonna be necessary for those of us to think big or bigger in God? What's what's gotta be created? You know, the, the buzzword in that question is created, and, and and I say that because I know what I want, and I don't even know if what I want can be created. Uh, maybe is it uh just, I don't know. You know, I think really what I'm finding more and more is that we don't lack faith in God. We lack faith in ourselves. Wow. Wow. We, we, you know, we have confidence in God, but then when it comes to ourself, our confidence is so low. And so, so, you know, you can stand up on Sunday and sing God is able. And then I'll look at you and say, do you mind coming up front and praying today? Oh, I don't know. I'm off. You just saying God is able, but now I just simply ask you to pray in front of the church, and all of a sudden, what God is not able anymore? <laughs> like, right. like, 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 out of our mouth we profess all this faith in God, but I think there also has to be a little bit of faith in you to walk out with a slingshot and five stones to mm. take on a Goliath. I mean, you got to have God, yes, but you got to have something in you that says either God is with me, God will empower me. Um, I, I once said to uh, uh, one of the first lady supervisors of, of one of the districts, Reverend C, I said to Reverend C, I said, she said she gave me a great compliment. And then I said, you know, Reverend C, I said, God can do amazing things. And her response to me threw me back. She said, yes, yes, God does amazing things. But just remember this, baby, God needs a vessel. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, 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 and it hit me because what she was saying was, don't remove yourself from the equation. You know, I was giving God glory and I always do and always will. But she was saying, nah, baby, it's you and God. And that's the part I think we miss is we put all our faith in God. And I'm, I'm not against that. But there has to be some confidence, some courage and some faith 
in what God has put in us yeah. and what God has called us to do and what. So you're not going to think big if you don't have courage and confidence. And, you know, and, and I'm going to tell you, Jason, you know, you're going to get called arrogant <laughs> and you're going to get called all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? And, 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 and you know, some of the stuff I can call. <laughs> right. And I used to think that was such a negative reflection of me. But then I, as I got older, I realized it's really a negative reflection of the status quo. Because I'm called, you're being called arrogant or whatever, because you have what everybody else is supposed to have. Yeah. Wow. But because they don't, you look like you're way up here and they're down here. And you're saying, why? Because my parents told me I could do anything when I was a little boy. Because my daddy said, you can be anything you want to be when I was a child. Now I carry that. And then I had the nerve to go to a church who told me my God can do all things. And then they told me my God can tear down walls. Wow. Then they told me my God can move mountains. Then they told me if I ask, it'll be given. If I seek, it'll find. If I knock, the door will be open. But then I'm supposed to walk around like, I don't know if we can do all this. You know, like I, I'm confused. You know? Oh, that's good. No, no, no. I'm going to believe it to the day I die. I'm going to ride on that. I'm going to ride on that. I'm going to ride on that. And you got to have that something in you has to say, I can do this, man. You got to have something in you that says, I can do this. Listen, this has been good to me. (laughs) I'm glad you're enjoying it. (laughs) Oh, let's have a word of prayer because we want to release you to speak what God says to you. And um, I'm just very thankful. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we invite you to be with us um, in this worship and worship with us and let everything we do be divinely orchestrated according to your will and your purpose. And we pray that everything we do actually point others back to you. So illuminate and awaken the spirit in each of us. We want Christ to be magnified in our ears and our eyes and even in our hearts. And as even Dr. Woods uncovers the riches of your word, we pray that we would all be convicted of our sin, that the idols of our hearts would be revealed and that we'd be captivated and encouraged by your loving kindness and your tender mercy. Use him tonight, God, to proclaim a living word to a dying world. The power of your gospel saves unbelievers and stirs the affections of believers even more toward you who is the Christ. So show forth your wonder in miraculous ways this evening. And we believe it's done in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Woods, my brother, preach a bit. <laughs> you know, actually, I'm going to share one of my favorite sermons. And I've shared this a couple of times and I just love this sermon. I do got to ask how long we have because I am a time limit preacher. Like I will stick to whatever, whatever the limit is, I will be there. So you tell me it's it's on the 30. Do we go to the hour or how long do we go here? We're following you. Oh, Lord. OK, uh, let me give you a word out of John chapter five. And I'll try to tie this into the think big theme a little bit. I think there's a little bit in here. Uh, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is Aramaic and is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there and had been an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool with the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Uh, Let's see if I can come up with a title. Uh, I don't know. Everything you need is in you. Let's let's use that for a tag. So, you know, I uh, and thank you for the prayer, uh, Reverend Jason. 
one of the things that we used to do down here at church is go down to Popeye's after church. And uh, we go down to Popeye's and we eat chicken like everybody else. And uh, if you're like me, you know that uh, you can't eat chicken without bread. And I went down to the Popeye's this one particular time and they didn't have any biscuits. And the woman asked me, was like, well, do you want to wait for the biscuits? I said, yes, because, you know, you don't eat chicken without bread. Amen. And I sat back and I was waiting because we were eating there and I was waiting for the biscuits to come along. And I looked over and other people who had come in after me were getting their plates. And as I was looking at their plates, I started to notice something on their plates that you probably can figure out. I saw biscuits and I was a little upset because I had been waiting for mine and everybody else was getting theirs and she had told me to wait, et cetera. But I also realized in that moment, something very interesting. And what I realized is that there's actually something worse than waiting. Waiting is tough. I'm not a very patient person, I will admit. And sometimes it's a blessing and a curse, but waiting while you watch other people get theirs, all I can say is that's worse. And if you've ever been in a job where You've been waiting for a promotion and you've seen other people promote it past you. If you're single, then it seems like all your friends are married but you. Uh, if you're trying to get a house and it seems like you're the only one in an apartment, everybody, you know, there's this notion of having to watch other people get theirs while you're waiting to get yours. And I think that's where we find the man by the edge of the lake. His frustration is not just that he's been there for 38 years. We can pause there and just take a moment and say, that's a long time to be waiting for an answer prayer, to be waiting for a blessing, to be waiting for something to occur. But what really was the salt in the wound was the fact that he was not only waiting, but he had to watch other people get the very thing that he had been praying for while he continued to wait on his. He had to watch people get their blessing. He had to watch people get, get their healing. He had to watch people get all that he wanted. But yet at the same time, he was waiting on his. And in the story, a man named Jesus comes along. And the first question Jesus asks is probably the most important question in the whole text, but it will run past you if you don't pay attention. And the question Jesus asks is, do you want to get well? Do you want your life to be better? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be big, as we say, for the Think Big series. And, and, and at first, I, I, I kind of looked at the question and I was like, duh, like, of course, you know, who doesn't want? But at the end of the day, what I realized was that Jesus was really saying this. I can't help you if you don't want to be helped. Now, I, I'm going to free three parents up and I'm going to free two grandmas up right now. I can pray for you all I want. I can douse you with oil. I can drag you to the altar. I can do all these things. But at the end of the day, Jesus starts by saying, is this what you want? And for our Think Big series, I'm going to twist it a little bit and say the first question that God has to ask you is, do you want to be big? Do you want to be successful? Do you want to be, in this instance, part of the community? Do you want to be healed? Because guess what? Jesus is saying, I have all the power in the world to cast the stars, to cast the moon, to spin the earth. I can do anything. But guess what? It still says, I stand at the door and knock because ultimately it's still up to you to say, is this what you really want? Do you want to be big? However you define big, not up to me, but do you want to be big? Then the man speaks, and I love this. I have no one to help me in the pool. And then he says, while I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes ahead of me. How many times have we heard, I have no one to help me? 
I want you to put a pin there because I'm going to answer that when we get to the very end. He says, every time I go down there, I ain't got nobody to help me. People keep pushing their way down there. I can't seem to go and whatnot, whatnot. And then here comes Jesus. And I love this part. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. So let's kind of take those three things and then wrap up and then we'll be done, I think. First, he says, get up. What does he mean? Well, for me, get up means that the first step in thinking big, the first step in your healing is that I have to remove you from the other sick people. Because even if I take you away and I heal you, if you go back among the sickness, you'll simply get sick again. He says, if you want to think big, you got to get up and move away from the people who are thinking small. You know, big is so relative. Like if you, when, I was thinking back when I used to be at uh, Burger King, when I was 14 years old, I used to work the burger board. I used to flip the Whoppers and trust me, nobody can wrap a Whopper faster than me still. But when I was 14 at Burger King, our aspiration was to work the cash register. So our idea of thinking big was the cash register. Oh, thinking big. But when I got older and I rubbed elbows with CEOs and VPs, my definition of think big changed because of the social context I was finding myself in. And so for me, the whole point of get up is not just to get up, but the whole point in this story is I also have to remove you from the very things that are going to hold you back once we get moving to a different place. I wonder if some of us have yet to realize that our net worth is really attached to our network. And that sometimes it's not ourselves that are holding us back, but it's the bad advice we're getting. It's the social media advice we're getting. It's the petty people around us that are killing our dreams with why they won't happen. It's the petty people around us that are killing our dreams with, with why God doesn't want to do this and why God doesn't want to do that. He says, the first thing I have to do is you sometimes have to change playgrounds and change play friends in order for God to take you to a different place because I don't want something else in your ear messing up your mentality. Remember that brother named Zechariah? And God said, you're not going to be able to speak until Elizabeth has her child. You know why? Because I don't want your negative mouth to mess up the blessing I have in store for her. How many mouths do we keep around because we refuse to get up? Now, keep in mind, he's been here 38 years. I'm sure he has friends. I'm sure he has homies, his spades partner, his dominoes partner, his soap opera partner. I'm sure he has a lot of relationships built into that. But guess what? The first step for him to think big was to get up, get away. Then he says, don't leave empty handed. I need you to pick up your mat. Now, I had to ask myself, Reverend Jason, why is this man taking this dirty, nasty, sealy posturpedic <laughs> with him when he gets up from the lake? And I'm going to use my Holy Ghost imagination. I got a couple answers that kind of might fit in here. Um, one, and I think this is, again, attached to thinking big. I said, I think one is because I never want you to forget where you came from. Um, I, I want you to always be reminded of what God has delivered you from, because that is the testimony and the ministry that carries you forward. Uh, you know, sometimes we we can get so successful and that we drive our little BMWs and we do our little things that we lose touch with what it meant uh, to be in that position. 
And so I just wondered in my Holy Ghost imagination, if maybe God was saying, I need you to take that map back with you so that you can never forget where you came from. Number two, maybe he had to take the map away so that God made sure that he never put himself back in that same situation. You see, it's not just enough to get away and get away from uh, the sick and whatever else, but sometimes you also have to close the door to make sure that you never come back. Why do you still have his phone number? Why do you still have her phone number? If, if it's over, yes, I said over and not over. If it's over, it's over. Some doors you have to close behind you to make sure that you don't go back through that door again. And again, it's tough because the man in the text has relationships on the other side of that door. But the third one I think is the most important one for me is not just maybe remember where you came from. Maybe it's making sure that he doesn't go back and find himself in the same situation again. But maybe it's the third thing, and that is this. Maybe he's taking up the mat to make sure that someone else doesn't take his place. What do I mean by that? I think that's where ministry is. I think that once God delivers us from something, we know the pain of that ailment. We know what it's like to be in that situation. And so he says, I want you to not just deliver yourself, but I want you to make sure that no one else finds themselves in that situation again. Look, you know, I grew up on food stamps. I grew up on government cheese, which I still think is delicious. I grew up on peanut butter. You have to stir the oil back into the peanut butter before you can use it. And once you know what it's like to be hungry, I think then part of your ministry is to make sure that no one ever has to have the same feeling that you had. So whatever you've been through in life is for me the perfect start for your ministry, again, because you can relate to other people in a way that I can't. Um, I had never been in the hospital. I had never had until recently. I've never had to go in the surgery and whatnot. So I could talk to people, but I couldn't talk in the same way as someone who has been healed from cancer. I don't know what that healing feels like. I can't talk to a, a pregnant woman who's having baby daddy issues. In a, I can, but not in the same way as another woman who has experienced that experience. And so I think part of taking the mat with him is saying, hey, look, this is now part of your ministry to make sure that other people don't fall in that situation because you under that understand that situation in a way that other people can't understand that situation. Hmm. People always ask me, well, how do I know what I'm, my ministry is? You know what I tell them? What have you been through? It's hard, you know, when, 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 when you're trying to quit smoking, you don't want to hear people who've never smoked tell you to quit smoking. It's like, I'm telling you, I've been there. It's like annoying. But when you get somebody who knows the pain and knows the anguish and knows what it's like to stand outside at three in the morning because there's no smoking in the building, they, they, they talk to you different. And we've all been through some mats on the side of the lake experiences that I think empower us for ministry. But then he says the last thing. He says, and walk. <laughs> this cracks me up. Because let me tell you something. If I've been laying somewhere for 38 years, and then you come and tell me my change has come, and then you tell me that now my change is here and I'm going to be able to get up and walk, excuse me, I'm not walking. I'm running. Yes, I'm running. I am running top speed, full blown. I ain't been able to move. And now you tell me I got all this mobility and agility going on in my body. I'm not running. I'm, I mean, I'm not walking. I'm running. Now, why do I say that? Because when it comes to think big, 
And it comes to being big. Again, however you're defining big, we always want it so fast and so immediate. I had a young man tell me once, this is about eight, nine years ago. He said, yeah, Dr. Woods, he said, I'm going to start me a mega church. And I had to pause. He said, start a mega church. He said, yeah, I'm going to start me a mega church. And remember, I was a math major. I'm like, but you know, to get to 100, you have to cross 50. And to get to 200, you have to cross 100. Like, how do you, I appreciated that he was thinking big. I, I, I loved his vision. I loved his, his, his idealistic way of thinking. I loved his faith. But for some reason, what I did not hear in his voice was the understanding that it will be a journey the understanding that it'll be about progress. And I tell people all the time, slow progress is still progress. But the walk part for me is important because it says that I am patiently moving to my destination. I'm not anxiously moving to my destination, but I am patiently, intentionally, purposefully, and strategically moving to my destination. And I understand that I cannot get there immediately. Look, Lex and everybody, I know you're thinking big. I know you're praying. I know you can do all things through Christ. I know that he is the author and finisher of your faith. I know that he will give you the desires of your heart, but guess what? It just doesn't happen overnight. I don't care how hungry you are. You can't fry chicken in five minutes. It will not be done. When we walk, we move in a way that we trust the direction that God is taking us. But walking is different than running because walking also allows for the joy of the journey. And guess what? When we talk about think big for me, think big is not a destination for me. Think big has become a journey. And it has become this openness to God and allowing God to show me things I've never seen before on the journey, to teach me things about myself on the journey. Now, here's the twist in the text. I'm going to rub a little bit on you theologically, but, you know, this is typically cited as a miracle. I'm not sure how miraculous this story really is. And I say that because typically when Jesus was healing people, a lot of times he would touch him. We know the woman touched the hem of his garment. We know he touched the man on the tongue. We know he touched the man on the eye. I mean, we have these instances where Jesus touches different people. But in this particular instance, if you read closely, all God does is talk to him. He doesn't anoint him. He doesn't say special words. He simply talks to him and tells him to get up, take up his mat and walk. Now, it made me ask myself, could it be that the power to think big and be big was inside of him the whole time? At the same time, what a tragedy it would be to find out that everything you needed was already inside of you. It was inside of him. He had the power. And Jesus just gave him the words of encouragement. And, and, and what I realized through life is, you know, we say, well, you know, because of this experience, I'm stronger now. Or because of this experience, I'm this now and I'm that now. And then I started realizing, hold on, that was already inside of you. And that the reason I think God sends us some of these troubles and some of these storms, because every storm is not the devil. I think that God sends us to some of these through some of this stuff is not to strengthen us but to expose the strength that's already inside of you. You always had the power. 
You just didn't know you had the power until you went through an experience that called on the power. And then once you realized in hindsight that you went through that experience, you said, wow, I'm stronger than I thought I was. I'm bigger than I thought I was. The experience exposed what was already inside the man. We have to get out of this notion that we have to depend on all these other things around us and depend on all these other people. God has put so much inside of us that I think we devalue what's already been implanted and imbued in our spirits and in our souls. We are all intelligent. We are all beautiful. I saw this commercial that was running the other day and it said the universe distributes talent equally. It just doesn't distribute opportunity equally. We're all talented. We all have things we're great at. We all have things we're good at and it's all buried deep down inside of us. So again, when I look at the text, I said to myself, my, 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 is it really a matter of the fact that this man already had the power. Now watch the irony in the text and then I'm gonna get out your way. Go back to verse seven. He said, I have no one to help me in the pool. All Jesus did was talk to him. So guess what? He still didn't get no help, but yet his whole situation changed. (laughs) Because remember his excuse was, I have no help. So Jesus said, I'm gonna fix this in a way so that you can quit using I don't have help as an excuse. I'm speaking to someone right now who's trying to excuse everything happening in their life on somebody else. They always have a reason why it can't be done, why it can't be accomplished, why they can't get over the hurdle, why they can't get over the mountain. And God is saying, look, you have everything you need inside of you to be big, to think big, but you have to tap into what is already inside of you. Yeah. And it says that once he was cured, picked up his mat and began to walk. At once, the moment he believed in what Jesus was saying to him, the moment he believed that he could actually do it was the moment it began to happen. So you asked me a question earlier about what do I think the church needs more of? I think we have faith in God. I just wonder if we need more faith in ourselves, man. I just wonder if we really don't understand how resilient God has built us to be. And I think for us, particularly as African-Americans, we've we've shown in history so many times that we can take a licking and keep on ticking. And yet nowadays, just the smallest thing breaks us down and all of a sudden we can't make it. But when you look at what our forefathers and foremothers and ancestors endured and kept praying, what they went through and kept calling on the name of the Lord, Maybe they just maybe we're just not building folk like they used to. But I want somebody out here to know that the ability to think big and to be big, it's inside of you. And God doesn't do it for you. God does it with you. And the minute you start believing not only in God, but also believing in the God who created you on the inside, i.e. believe in yourself, not because you're all that, not because you're great. Not because you're super powerful, but because you understand what God has placed inside of you. That in the words of Reverend C, yeah, but God needs a vessel. So I don't want to tell you to think big. I want to tell you to be big and live up to what's already inside of you. It's already there. It's already there. All you got to do is just tap in. So if you don't mind, I want to say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, 
I can imagine how long that man sat at that lake waiting for his change to come. And his whole life was different because of a conversation with Jesus. And I'm not sure if Jesus spoke miraculous words or if he just spoke simple words. But one thing I know is that man had the power to get up and walk. And I believe, God, that there's some folk under the sound of my voice who you've been calling to do big things, God. But all they can see is how it's not going to work, why it's not going to work, what's not going to work. It's like asking the man to get up to walk, and in his mind, he's thinking, yeah, but what if I get up and fall down? I'll be the laughing stock of the lake. Everybody will talk about me, and I'll look bad. But we rebuke all that in Jesus' name, because there comes a time when we walk by faith and not by sight. There comes a time when we have to quit worrying about what other people think. There comes a time when we have to tap into the spirit that you placed inside of us and believe that not only do we serve a big God, but our big God has empowered us to do big things. And I pray that whoever's listening to this, that needed to hear this message tonight, I offer them one word, courage. Lord, give them the courage to believe. Give them the courage to get up and walk. Give them the courage to start that business, the courage to go back to school, the courage to go for that job, the courage to go back into the gym and work on their health one more time. Whatever it is, God, give them the courage they need to silence the naysayers, to not worry about what other people think, but to take that walk in Jesus' name. This is my prayer in the strong name of Jesus, our Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Listen, can I just say thank you, man? That was powerful. Um, talking thank about you. nuggets there. And um, I even felt, you know, the power of God really um, speaking to me and speaking through through you to me. And I think many others feel the same way. Uh, what 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 wonderful um, um, nuggets you found in the text. And I'm just going to say thank you from my heart. Uh, man, <laughs> it's great. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to say thank, thank you, Pastor Woods, and to the first Amy Church family of Gary, and also to First Lady Teresa Woods, and to your family. Uh, we just thank God for you being with us tonight. And so many of you, thank we you. all know that giving is a part of worship. We've been challenging our church just to give ten dollars uh, for the Think Big each month. And so, if you want to be a, a blessing, you can. I put it in the chat. Um, but also, if you um, made a decision tonight, like let's say that you decided you wanted to to, to join Jesus on this journey. Or you said, I've never been saved and I want to be saved. If we put a link in the chat, let us know um, if you have been changed tonight. If you want to make a decision, if you're looking for someone to partner with you, uh, the First Amy Church is looking to connect you with people who, uh, as Pastor Woods talked about in that community, that you don't have to be in this thing by yourself. Uh, so we just thank God for it. Uh, we have many mechanisms that we can reach uh, out and touch and partner with you so that you can be in community. Uh, wherever you are. So we thank God for you, Pastor Woods. God bless you, my brother. Uh, thank you, man. He's in for now tonight. So we won't be back again until November. So we have one month off and before we start up again. So I just want to say thank you for ending us on a high note. God bless you. Uh, everybody's our All prayer right. in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for joining tonight's Think Big virtual collaboration. We hope that you are blessed by tonight's broadcast and we invite you to like and follow our First AME Church Kansas City Facebook page to stay informed about future events. production and management services for the Think Big virtual revival have been provided by Velf Creative Designs and Events, the one-stop shop for your graphic promotional designs, event and planning consultation, video editing and production, and program with management technology needs. Be blessed.